Welcome everyone to another episode of the Let's Talk Surgery podcast for RCSED. I am your host, Gregory Carter, and today we bring you yet another episode in the FST series that focuses on the faculty of surgical trainers. I'm joined as always by my good friend, Ceci. Ceci, how are you? I'm fine, Greg. How are you? Great, thanks. Excited to have our guest on today. Me too. Um, today with us for the audience, we have James Tomlinson, who is a consultant spinal surgeon down in Sheffield, as well as the deputy director of the Faculty of Surgical Trainers and an all-round good guy. James, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for that introduction. That was very flattering. That's all right. Thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you. You are an integral part of the Faculty of Surgical Trainers. And as you're aware that the point of these, the series is to showcase our surgical trainers and, and hear a bit from those at the forefront of surgical training. So we're pleased to have you here. And we just have a set of quick fire questions. I'm sure you'll cope. Nothing left field coming. So you're fine. Excited and ready? I am. I, I do feel, I feel quite honoured to be here, actually. So it's, uh, it's nice to be invited. So thank you. Excellent. Just before we go through the formal questions, we give you an opportunity to tell our audience who you are. Obviously, I've given a bit of a mouthful about who, well, introduction, uh, but here's your chance. A couple of minutes. Who is James Tomlinson? Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, who is James Tomlinson? Interested. So I'm, uh, I'm a spinal surgeon, as you said, down in uh, Sheffield. I'm a, a Yorkshireman born and bred so I haven't really uh, ended up going that far I did go away for a while and worked elsewhere and then came back um heavily involved in surgical training as you've mentioned and um my subspecialty is spine uh, and also have an interest in uh, patient safety and human factors and non-technical skills as well when I'm not surgical training or doing spinal surgery and you're also pretty well you're interested in medical leadership and healthcare leadership is that correct uh, yes, oh, someone's done their homework. Yeah, I. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <Better right. laughs> I feel like you guys know more about me than I know about myself. No, uh, yeah, I am. I, uh, I actually uh, was part of a um, Yorkshire has a, a leadership uh, scheme similar to the national scheme where you can go uh, out of program. And I was part of that and now uh, supervise two leadership fellows as well, both of whom are out of program uh, developing their leadership skills. Excellent. And as an ex-leadership fellow uh, myself, I tip my hats off to you uh, for what you do. So well done. Right. We'll move into the, the meat of, of this episode. So question number one, James, who is or was your best trainer and why? Now I'm going to, uh, am I allowed more than one? Am I only allowed one? Or just because it's you, you can have two. <laughs> I've, I've, been, I've spent days being troubled by this about whether I have to pick one or not. Um, I'm going to pick two then. Uh, I think uh, from the world of spinal surgery, uh, one of my colleagues who's probably sat the other side of this wall, so probably listening in, uh, <laughs> but, uh, a colleague of mine, Ashley Cole, who uh, when I was a registrar and fairly early on in my registrar training, took a real uh, interest in my development um, I was lucky that I did uh, spine at a time when we didn't have a senior fellow. And so in effect, there was something in it for both of us that he was very much, if I teach you how to do more than I normally let a registrar do, that helps me because there's no one else other than you and me. And hopefully it helps you because you're going to find this a lot more interesting and took a real interest in me and let me do a lot. Uh, and then also stayed in touch through my training and uh, kind of took a lot of uh, 
opportunities where he could to help me develop uh, and open a lot of doors for me. So very grateful for that. Um, the other person I'm going to pick, which is a little bit off-piste, is actually Susie Sterling, who's a uh, training programme director for public health, um, but actually heads up the Yorkshire Leadership Fellow programme. And I have to thank Susie, because when I went out of programme, I was a little bit disgruntled with uh, training for a variety of reasons and I credit her with completely reinventing me as a clinician and as a surgeon and uh, completely reigniting my enthusiasm for my career and I'm very grateful for that. Excellent Susan if you're listening the world of spinal surgery owes you a debt thank you for giving him his vigor back. We had a recent leadership fellowship reunion up here in Scotland and a number of fellows actually said that that uh, one of the reasons why they went out of program was you know a bit disillusioned and that year out looking at leadership and how to shape the environment you work in helped them find uh, their feet again so I can certainly echo some of those sentiments. Question number two now you yourself you are as the deputy director of, fac of the faculty of surgical trainers you are heavily involved in training and a number of other hats that you wear. What is it about training the next generation that you enjoy? I think just watching people develop, it's, a, it's an enormous privilege. Um, it's just fascinating watching people develop. I think training uh, can be challenging, thinking about some of my own experiences in training. There were times when it was not how I wanted it to be and I was very keen to get involved with things as early as I could and I think it's great to have the chance to try and influence and change things and make them how you think they ought to be. Um, it's just incredibly rewarding and I think the more you put into training other people often the more you get back 10 times what you invest in, in most trainees and actually why do we all do this because we want to make patients better and I like operating, but ultimately I can only operate on one person at once. Whereas if I train hundreds of people and send them out into the world, they can operate on hundreds of people a week and really have an impact on how we deliver healthcare. Excellently put. I'm going to put you on the spot, James. You weren't expecting this, but um, <laughs> in, in the last five years, uh, we focused with my bandwidth all of a sudden. Hang on, I might get cut off here. <laughs> Fine, we can dial back in. In the last five years, you don't have to answer this, but can you think of one trainee that has been your best trainee? It's like asking you to pick your favorite child, so yeah. feel free not to. Um. You love them all equally, don't you? Yeah, I do. I, I think different people see different things. I think, I think actually for me, always the thing is people fulfilling the potential and being yeah. the best version of them that they can be. And there are some people who are world beaters who will go on and be incredibly high profile and nationally, internationally famous. Yeah. There are also other people who, and I mean this very kindly, will be good at what they do, uh, never be spectacular, but just do things, do some solid things in solid ways and make patients better. And actually, I think they're just as important. It's just as satisfying. Actually, it's about unlocking each person's potential and giving them the opportunities that they can develop in ways they want to develop. 
You must be a father of multiple because you've answered that very well without picking your favorite <laughs> child. Excellent, James. I was about to say that was extremely expertly done. The diplomacy there was exemplary. Um, it's, all, it's almost making me want to quit pediatric surgery and do spines just to have the opportunity to be trained by you, but just almost anyway. I, I get a bit of the fun bit now. Um, I am a huge lover of music, so I'd be interested to know if you play music in theatre, and if you do, what do you play? Yeah, um, so we, I don't play my own music, but I don't mind. I know music in theatre is a really controversial topic. Um, I think some quietish music is often quite helpful. That actually, anecdotally, I think sometimes if you don't have music in theatre, the background noise is actually louder than when you have some some music. Um, I must say, I'm, I'm going to mention someone in particular. We had an ODP, John, who's now retired. Um, he used to work with our spine team, who was fantastic. He had an iPod with about 80,000 songs on. And as wow. he always called it, it was the iPod with something for everyone. But it was just a huge, huge range of music with thousands and thousands of albums. And it worked really well because there literally was something for it. And I think that's the key in theatre is actually, I would argue, it's about the music that everyone in the room wants, not the music that the surgeon wants. So I think it's finding that balance. Um, ideally something not too loud not too fast i know there's an anesthetist in leeds where i did my fellowship who will remain nameless who when he's getting a bit bored and the surgery's taking too long has a brazilian samba beat cd he loves to play that gets faster and faster and faster with each track wow and encourage the surgeons to get a move on um but i think it's finding that balance isn't it of something that's uh, not too intrusive not too uh alienating as well in terms of you know keeping everyone on board fantastic um i don't think such a track exists because there will always be somebody <laughs> who has opinions about the musical selection but i'm really surprised by your choices of something a bit more quiet because in my mind all orthopedic surgeons blare out <laughs> acdc or guns and roses at the top volume while they hammer 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 and saw 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 so i'm really impressed with that Okay, on to... It, it shows the last time she was in an orthopaedic theatre, doesn't it? Greg. It's good to know that these images live on in the, in the world. <laughs> so, um, next question. If you were on a desert island, just you and you alone, and you could only take one surgery or profession-specific tool with you, one thing you just cannot live without, what would that be? Oh. Well, I suppose with my spinal surgery hat on, uh, what, what do I actually get most used from an operating microscope? Well, that's a huge part of our practice. And actually there's, there's not that much surgery these days that we do without the microscope unless we're fixing fractures or something. Um, without spinal surgery hat on, actually, I suppose one of the most, if you were going to get specific about what's the most useful thing you could have, Arguably a splint, Thomas splint is a great example of actually that is a literally saved lives, a very simple intervention that literally stopped people dying from blood loss from femoral fractures in the First World War. And it's very simple. It's very accessible. It's very cheap. If you're clever, you can probably spin, splint most long bone fractures with it with a bit of adaptability. Uh, and it'd be useful to have if you're on a desert island. Fantastic. So something uber uber modern 
like a microscope and then something uber uber retro like a thomas splint oh, yeah something for everyone indeed <laughs> it also gives us uh, an insight into what you plan to do on this desert island because you're clearly getting something for long bone fractures so you're not going to be sitting reading a book are you <laughs> good to know um so next is more about you as a person, or also as a profession, actually. What one book, medical or non-medical, have you enjoyed the most, either recently or in the past? Ooh. Um, <clears throat> a slight fudge, but staying away from medical books in the purest sense, I think Atul Gawande's work is um, a really good read. Um, good company. I think all of his uh, checklist manifesto was the first book of his that I read, and I thought uh, there's some really interesting insights into medical culture there. The barriers he came up against when he tried to introduce things, even things that clearly had an impact on safety, the resistance that that was met with, and uh, I think being realistic about it, Atul Gawande is a lot more persuasive than I am, or most people are in our profession, and. And if he's struggling, it, it really highlights, actually, there's a there's a huge issue. Um, and I think some of his other books, another one I always tell people about when I'm talking about management of metastatic disease, I think Being Mortal is um, a, a really good book. And I think the way he explores death um, and, and how we deal with that and how we think about that and about quality of life as well as length of life is, is really important. Um, and I think that we can all learn a lot from from his writing. Uh, Non-medical books. Ooh, um, I might sound like a bit of a nerd here, but um, I've really enjoyed reading uh, quite a lot of a lot of the leadership books actually around because I think actually a lot of them actually around human behaviour, aren't they? And actually human behavior is kind of interesting in itself but it's also a huge part of what we do as clinicians um if i were to pick one book actually that i think probably really changed the way i think about it, there's a great book by matthew saeed called bounce um which is an exploration of kind of theory around learning and motorsports and technical skills and all sorts of other things and i, I found that a real eye-opener and i think he takes people through some quite uh, difficult concepts in parts, but some really good um, grounded literature, but in a very accessible way as well. And also draw some really nice parallels as well with everyday life. I can, what everyone listening to this can't see is the two people nodding their heads who clearly also love reading Atul Gawande and Matthew Said's books. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I've read everything Atul Gawande has ever published, even some random articles. And my personal favourite is actually Complications. And yeah, yeah. Um, I got introduced to that book by a, an excellent trainer of mine in the past after we had had quite a difficult case. And it, as you say, James, it's so humbling to see someone at the top of his game speak so openly and honestly about when things go wrong. And um, another person I've been enjoying reading a lot is Matthew Saeed. I finished um, Black Box Thinking and Bounce recently. So 
again, absolutely loving everything that you've picked. I'm, I'm just so happy right now. So happy. I don't, <laughs> I don't think we've had a guest come on any of our podcasts that has been so in tune with our thinking in terms of, you know, if I was to get the two of us to list the three books that we would want to read or our favorite books, certainly mine is Complications of All Time. And Being Mortal is another book that I absolutely adore. It's, it's a book I read around the same time as meeting a patient who had you know, metastatic colorectal cancer unexpectedly died within a few days and reading the book and going through this just you know put life in perspective for me and complications again that was a book that i read around sort of the start of surgical training and that just inspired me to to keep going read better uh, and again you know everything Atul Gawande does all for it so you're certainly in good company and yes the audience can't see uh Ceci and I going crazy in the background and, and enjoying it. so yes glad glad to have you around last one for me I think you will have a good answer to this, and I'm looking forward to what you're what you're going to say. Everyone on, that listens to this podcast knows that I struggle with my work-life balance. I am work, 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 very little life balance. So, what is it you do to keep a balanced work-life relationship? Yeah, I think it depends who you ask. So, if you want to ever get my wife on this podcast and ask her. <laughs> She will tell you uh, I don't, um, and then uh, probably stop talking at that point. But um, no, I think it's uh, it is a challenge. I agree. I think uh, surgery can be quite all-consuming, um, and particularly as a consultant, I think sometimes it's hard to walk away from things and forget about things when you leave the door. Um, I think it is challenging. Um, do I always get it right? No, I definitely don't. I'm very clear about that. I think sometimes I get the balance wrong in favour of doing too much. Um, I suppose if you are prone to doing that, the best next best thing you can do is know when that's happening and know when you're getting a little bit frazzled and know when it's time to say, I need some downtime and I need to uh, just find a way of clearing my head and, and walking away. Um, I try and cycle when I can. I find that very helpful. Um, I think the one thing I'm really bad at is I find it really hard to disengage brain. So even if I sit down, I just find something to read and find another thing to think about. And actually, if you're kind of riding your bike, you, it's quite all consuming. You just have to concentrate on what you're doing. Otherwise, you're going over the bars and you're on your own trauma list. And so it's, uh, it's a good way of just forgetting about the world for a while. Um, we've also had... Uh, uh, a baby boy quite well. I've got a six month old boy and actually I find that we walk miles and miles and miles with uh, with uh, me and the little one and, and I find that's a really great way to just get away from things and he acts as a really welcome distraction and uh, a smile from him makes the world's worries all seem a little bit better each day. I'm smiling uh, pretty briefly because and I know you didn't mean this but my new baby is a welcome distraction. I know, I know you meant he's the all-consuming aspect of your life, but we know what you meant. Thank you very much. I will not take the baby advice. I will go cycling instead. But <laughs> yes. It's a bit of a drastic solution for anyone with a <laughs> Agreed. I, mean, I don't have any children yet, but my sister has a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and I'm not quite sure how she does it. So, yeah welcome distraction or absolute career suicide or insanity I, I don't know either way children are a blessing 
Right. Um, coming to the last question, um, you've had so many experiences in your training career and as a consultant. Is there one pearl of wisdom, like the best bit of advice you can give to a trainee out there, just based on your professional experiences so far? This feels like quite a high pressure moment now. I'm, I'm feeling like I've got to nail this one. <laughs> I feel I should, I should play the countdown music. <laughs> Will do. Um, I suddenly feel the lights dimming and a bright light shining on me. No, I think um, reflecting on my own experience and, and advice I've been given from a variety of sources and even people outside medicine who I've met, I think probably the fundamental underpinning of everything is know yourself, know who you are and try and be who you are and you need to find a professional avenue that allows you to be who you are and be yourself because you can't be someone you're not to try and fit in and no matter how interesting the work is if you feel like you have to adopt a different persona to fit in your professional world that will eventually one day prove your undoing. Uh, and I think that's the key is just kind of know what, know who you are and what makes your world go around and find avenues and outlets that allow you to be that person. And, and that may be that you have a, a kind of second avenue to your career as well as being a surgeon, but that's really important. And I think that's the, the underpinning of everything. Really. And also I think something we don't do well in surgery that we don't encourage is with trainees is also know when to say you know what maybe I'm in the wrong place and maybe this isn't for me and there should be no shame in that but I think we don't deal with that well that it isn't for everyone there are people who are perfectly capable bright enough technically adequate enough who probably just don't want to do the job and we need to find ways of removing the stigma from that those words amazing such sage words of advice um it, 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 they are and it echoes one personal phrase i try and tell myself intermittently to thine own self be true which um to those of you classically trained out there and a bit nerdy like me comes from the play hamlet and i think it's so important to not lose yourself to the game and um I know we're recording this, so I can't even deny that I said it. And I know Greg will keep bringing it up. It's uh, you are one of the first people I've spoken to in another specialty that makes me want to quit ped surgery and come and work for you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what an inspiring man. Thank you so much for coming on. We're truly honored. Here, here. Well, no, honestly, it's, uh, I, it's a real privilege to uh, come and chat and it's, it's always nice to uh, chat to like-minded people and share ideas. So thanks for the invite. I really enjoyed it. Indeed. You're always welcome on the, on the, on a future episode of the podcast where you can have a feature length, uh, hour long episode. We can talk all things from leadership to surgery, to just life in general and distractions of children. James, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks both. Thank yeah, you. It has. Um, right, guys, until next time, stay safe and be kind to each other. Bye, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye.